What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart, and I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. Welcome back, everyone. Good to have you as part of the show, as always. Are they part of the show? Well, they're listening to it, so hopefully. (laughs) Podcast is the least interactive media form. Really? Yeah, well, people can just hear us. They can't talk to us. That's why we have Facebook. People can talk to us there. If you want to talk to us, get on Facebook. You can talk to us there. Okay. So you can talk to us on Facebook, but uh, or you can ring me on the phone if you want. I won't answer it. but Or you can yell at us in your speakers in your car while you're listening. So what are we talking about today? Today's topic is going to be on scent detection. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting topic, one that I'm very passionate about. I've been involved in it for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Had quite a good career working with some of the world's best, including people in Australia and around the world. Yeah, right. Who's the world's best? Well, that's debatable. As always. As always. And I guess the reason why, rather than trying to be elusive about the question, what I will say is that You can currently be the world's best until somebody takes your place. Mm -hmm. However, there are people like uh, Randy Hare. Mm -hmm. Mike Suttle's brilliant at it. Mm -hmm. There's been people like Glenn R. Johnson in the past. He did the Alaskan pipelines and Mm -hmm. taught dogs to detect microfishes in that sort of work. But again, it's what are we talking? Are we talking nose works? Yeah, it's too difficult to quantify. That's right. To quantify it. It's a loaded question. Well, it is. It's a loaded question because there's so many fields like there is in everything. Like who would you say would be the world's best IPO trainer? Who would be the world's best ring sport trainer? Mm. You've got your opinion on that. Other people have their opinion on that. And that exists in the same field in scent detection as well. Yeah, of course. So what I did want to do is as we teach this uh, as a very small component in the NDTF course, Mm -hmm. I've got half a day to work with students on trying to get them up to speed on scent work. Right. And all I'm literally doing is giving them an entree of mm-hmm. the main course. It's like, a, well, I wouldn't even call it an entree. I'd call it a tapas dish. So, yeah, it's a very small snapshot of something that is incredibly important to try and get people's head around how to prevent issues in their scent work. In a dream world, to teach the theory, how long would you like? Two days. Right. To properly go through it because it's not one of those things that I think is complemented on doing the theory alone. I think you really need to have the theory, not think, no, Mm -hmm. that you really need to have the theory combined with the physical instruction. So it's basically the whole walk and talk scenario where you're talking about it and then showing people what to do and then going back to the theory and then going back to the practical. And it's yo-yoing backwards and forwards. It's an element that really needs to work in conjunction with each other. Well, that's something that we're speaking about Mike Suttle when he's been here. We've been lucky in the past that Andrew's had, uh, who brought him out, had puppies. Yep. And so you could talk about something and then show it. Yeah. And and, and that is the brilliant part of it. It's It gives people uh, a wonderful insight where if they're confused about the actual theory behind it, 
they can actually look at the practical and then it makes sense. Mm. Because there's some people who are highly academic. When you explain something to them in an academic model, they actually get it straight away. Whereas other people, they're not. They're practical. They're tactile. They actually need to touch things, feel things, see things. Mm -hmm. And all student groups are different and I'm the same. There are some things that you can talk to me about and it's just like talking in a different language. When I actually see it and it translates into real time, then I'm getting the message. Mm. And we're fundamentally all like that as students of anything that we're actually doing. So I like to do the same thing with scent detection work. Now, scent detection work can be quite simple, but it can be messed up very easily as well. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the things that I I wanted to sit down and have a talk with, especially with with you. I know you've done some scent work as well, Mm -hmm. but for the enjoyment of our people who listen to the podcast, if they are actually going to get out there and start working on anything, there's a few good things that they can start to do to avoid creating problems for themselves. And one of those areas is setting up a clean environment in order to teach the dog how to identify what it's doing. So explain that clean. Okay. Let me start in a little bit of a different environment first, and then I'm going to get to that point. So the first thing that people need to do in order to teach the dog successful scent work is teach their dog how to behave around the receptacle or around the scent that they're actually trying to develop with Mm -hmm. their dog. So let's say, for example, I've selected an odor, which I have to do. In order to teach my dog scent work, it has to be an isolate odor, Mm -hmm. not something that's combined with a lot of things, but something significant. So I've got an odor that I'm, let's say, for example, I'll use the nose works odor that they usually start with in their level one, which is birch. Yep. It's pretty indistinguishable from everything else. On birch, talk about indistinguishable. I reckon I could pass a nose works level one because it stinks. Birch is so powerful, right? Oh, it is. It's such a pungent odor. It's a very pungent odor. And I mean, I can smell it. I'm a nose works judge in Mm -hmm. Australia, so I can smell it. When it's been laid out, I can I can walk past and it's, it is significant to everything else. Mm. Even with our limited olfactory, which I'm going to talk about as well as part of this podcast, one thing I, w- I do want to talk about is that you can smell it. Yeah. As you've said, it's indistinguishable. As soon as you walk past it, you can smell like a sweet type of smell. Yeah. And birch like is- Like a toothpaste. Yeah, it is. It, it's Birch is also, I think, xylitol, actually, which is a, a sweetener, actually comes mm-hmm. from the birch byproduct. Yeah, right. Um, so it's a sweetening agent that they use in coffee and tea and cooking, etc. Yeah, a no-sugar sweetener. Yeah, that's correct. Mm-hmm. And it uh, has a different effect. Narelle's probably a really good person to talk <laughs> about the whole breakdown of xylitol. And yep. what I do have to mention, too, is that xylitol is actually toxic to animals. Yeah, right. So it's, it is actually, I believe it's a neurotoxin to dogs. I can verify that no later shit. on. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. You've got to be very careful with, with xylitol and dogs. It's toxic to them. I'm not sure about birch, but it's not something that they're supposed to be getting to. And They shouldn't be licking. They shouldn't dogs. be. And, and this is the thing, one of the things in scent development as well, is that dogs shouldn't be interacting with the scent. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, for example, if you were teaching a dog in biosecurity, mm-hmm cane toad detector dog or anything the last thing you want your dog to do is go chasing down cane toads biting them and then getting poisoned by their venom glands yeah so things like that you need to be quite mindful of this is why i say to people and and students and anyone who's doing good scent detection work that you need to be very mindful about how you're developing the behavior to start with Mm -hmm. and as anything that you're starting off in that type of work is is you're learning to shape a skill Mm -hmm. around a desired behavior So, for example, I don't even have to put the scent in first, but I would. 
and I'm going to talk about that too. So I know I'm sort of jump leaping all over the place, but one thing I do have to say is you could have an empty receptacle or, or a vessel or whatever you want to call it, and you could teach your dog how to behave around that before any scent was even put in it. Yep. However, I would want that emitting scent from the get-go. Yeah, there's I, no point not. If you know your right. odor, you may as well start with it. Very, very learned people, and this is a good trick that I learned from Mike Suttle, was that he starts doing it from the minute he's starting to feed puppies. Mm-hmm. He's got like a, a feeding bowl for all the pups that looks like a hubcap, and he drills holes around the top layer, and he, and he inserts his scent underneath that. So while the puppies are in early development, they're starting to associate when I'm getting fed, this smell is emitting. So it's a, it's like a Pavlovian effect for mm-hmm. them, which is very smart. And this is when people are paying attention to what they're doing. So what we want to do is we want to have a select vessel, something that is very convenient. It's not going to break. It's something that you can wash easily. So if you want to eliminate that odor, you can stick it in a mild bleach bath or something like that, which will eliminate the scent. It won't contain the scent long term, but it will act as a very efficient vessel, something that will stop the dog from breaking it apart, getting in there. So I usually use PVC and what they call inspection caps that Mm -hmm. I find at Bunnings. So I go out there and and start creating my own little creations and I can put pictures up. You've seen them, all sorts of things that I've used. I've helped students do it. I've helped my boss's son do it for a uh, a school project where we were teaching truffle detection. And like I said, very easy to find. You can go to Bunnings, you can go to any local hardware store and just muck around for a period of time. If you do want to get uh, Mike Suttles, uh, I know I'm mentioning Mike a lot because I'm possibly... Because you love him. Because I love Mike. Well, he's a scent detection guru. He is, very much so. And he does it as a professional career for some serious players over in the uh, United States and worldwide. He trains dogs for people and sends them out, like Randy Hare does as well. I love Randy's system. Spend a bit of time with Randy, talk with him here and there. So there's a lot of guys who have really looked at this as a long-term perspective and thought there's room for improvement here. Mm -hmm. So what they have all done is they've created their own systems and very effective ways of teaching dogs how to hunt for scent. Mm -hmm. So first and foremost, I know we've jumped in there this, but first and foremost, you've got to shape your dog around behaving around the receptacle. And that is to come in and smell it and then start to behave in a certain way. So what type of indication are we teaching our dogs? So we can look at various types of indications. The most popular one is what we call a passive indication where the dog comes in and sits or drops or stands and stares at it or whatever it is Mm -hmm. over an active indication where the dog starts to claw and paw at it. And there's various different schools of thought there. People say, well, I like an active indication because I want the dog to be in high drive and very enthusiastic, but a dog can still do that with a passive indication. And if you're teaching explosive detection, it's less likely it's going to interfere with the explosive and create an explosion which kills everyone in the process. Yeah, I would say something controversial that might upset people. Go ahead. I think most people that say they like an active indication don't know how to teach a passive indication. That will upset people. Um, (laughs) And I'd have to agree with you. Yeah. I don't think a dog needs to do an active indication. And if there's anybody that has suggestions why it does, I'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Because I just can't think of a circumstance where my job relies on a dog finding something and then I want him to claw at it and smash it. Because if it's explosives, as you're about to say, now he's interfering with an explosive. Yep. And if it's drugs and I'm some police is now tampering with later what I'll use of evidence. And if by chance he's sniffing for cocaine, he like rips the bag open as he's indicating and gets a nose full of cocaine. Now I'm dealing with a jacked up dog who wants to go on a party and then do a poo. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay. <laughs> why the poo? <laughs> why the poo? You don't know. Never mind. Okay. Never so, mind. All right. Some people will understand. Some people will understand. <laughs> oh, this is a like a cocaine a cocaine joke. user drug. Joke. Okay. Not that I'm a cocaine user. Um, regular drug tester. It's not. I'm not a drug user. I'm not saying you are, <laughs> but you just no. You never see people like they they use their cocaine. They're like, okay, I now I got a shit. No. Yeah. Well. It's been my observation. Maybe we need to actually do a podcast on need interview need someone re- who... If, if you're a regular cocaine user and you'd like to come on and explain whether you need to poo straight after. But no, jokes aside, I think that last thing you want is a dog actually inhaling or damaging... You don't. ...the, the thing that you're looking for. Yeah, you, you do not. Um, and with an active indication, you're increasing the likelihood of that. Yeah, there is. And like I said, the reason a, why we have this receptacle... An active indication, do we say that it is clawing and biting yes. and, and smashing around with, Correct. with the thing when they find yep. it? Yeah. Whereas a passive indication is just staring in a sit-down stand, whatever it, you It's do. whatever behavior you shape. Yeah. So you could have the dog downing in front of it. You could have yeah. the dog standing in front of it. You could have the dog sitting in front of it or just doing like a pointer does where it, it indicates that there's birds ahead, mm-hmm. not to give it away, and w- which effectively is a, a model of detection. Yeah. They found the quarry, they've located it, and they're showing the hunter it's over there. Mm-hmm. By whatever means that you want to do for your process of indicating, you can do that quite fine. Yeah. You need to shape that behavior. So we, in the course, you've done this with people mm-hmm. you've taught. I've done it with people I've taught. And people all around the world have taught people how to shape simple behaviors, how to bring a dumbbell back, how to bring, uh, how to go and touch a light, how to just touch your hand, come and do a nose poke on your hand. Mm-hmm. You can do exactly that same thing. Now, Bart did something which I liked and I've adapted that into, into my early modeling. Mm-hmm which is the glass jar method where he sits with a glass jar on his lap mm-hmm. with the scent buried deep in the back of the glass jar. Mm-hmm. And he teaches the dog, he shapes the dog into sticking its nose in the glass jar so he can actually watch the dog doing an inhale. Mm-hmm. I think that is brilliant. Yeah. And I've I've now adapted that in and I now teach it that as part of the course to the students where I, I show them the glass jar on my lap I hold it down with my hands and I start getting the dog to put its nose in and teach the students to incrementally teach the dog, stick and hold its nose in there and start breathing. Mm-hmm. It's a great way because it forces the dog to close its mouth on its own. It's like muzzle training, teaching yeah. a dog to come and stick its head in the muzzle. The dog is doing that with the glass jars. You could have your odour up the back of the glass jar, have the dog come in and just start learning how to not pant when it gets in there, but to actually pace itself and to start breathing in a very controlled manner before it gets anywhere. I love it. I really do. And it's one of the, it's so simple. It's such a simple thing. It made a big difference to my early approach in installing this behavior into the dog. Yeah. The glass jar, I like for a few reasons. Glass is very easy to clean and get completely clean. Yeah, it is. And you can go even a step further and the dog's got his head in there and you can mark on an inward breath because you can actually see that. You, you can. can. You can see and- And on, hear it. Yeah. You can hear it. You can see the glass will fog the, on the, the outwards. Actual, the jar amplifies the sound as well. Yeah. So it's a good system You and, and it's very easy. You just sit there and everyone's got a glass jar. You can use any kind of jar because as I say, glass is very easy to clean and get totally clean, like mm. absolutely have it back to nothing but glass and get even your cleaning agent, your detergent and that sort of thing can come off glass. Yep. So yeah, carry on. So that's a new part of the training that I'm now- quite encouraging all the students to actually partake in mm-hmm. and stealing the uh, original work with the dogs is that we start with the glass jar training. So a lot of, you know yourself, Pat, you can't get a level where you're dealing with baby puppies mm-hmm. uh, where you're starting to imprint. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the, yeah, the actual term that we use 
the industry term that we use in that type of training is we're trying to imprint the behavior in the dogs from an early age. Yep. So I'm trying to do that with the dogs as soon as I can get them. As soon as uh, the students are aware of what we're doing, we're trying to imprint. It's imprinting the knowledge of there's a smell here and the dog has no idea what it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this, But that there's value in that smell? But there's value in the smell. So the dog is just thinking, well, I'm just sticking my head in a glass jar. Yep. At this very point, the dog is still unawares to what it's actually doing, that it's about smell. It still is it has no clue what it's all about at this very point in time. Yeah. So this is where now I know again, I know that I'm leaping around here, but this has to form part of a big picture. So I'm now going to talk about something before I answer the riddle of why does the dog not understand that smelling something. And I before I talk about that, I have to talk about scent contamination. Because this is one area that completely destroys dogs in scent work and completely befuddles anyone, any students all around the world because they can make a complete mess of it. Mm -hmm. And what they do is they tend to... See, a student will look at it or anybody who's doing any type of training, they'll look at it from this point of view. They'll go in there and think to themselves, what I'm doing is teaching my dog to smell this odour. So they'll set it up and they'll put the odour in the vessel and they'll start teaching the dog how to behave around the vessel. What they don't realise they're doing is as they're handling that vessel and they're storing it is that the scent is leaching out onto everything else. So what you've got to think of is when you've got scent inside something, it's like containing an octopus, okay? And that octopus is looking to get out. So it's wriggling around, thrashing around, and it's touching other things and sliming all over everything as it's trying to escape from it. So it's the tendrils of an octopus spreading out along the room. Now, that source of scent is always going to be rich at the primary location. Mm -hmm. However, it's going over everything. So when we're teaching a dog the origins of scent work, what we have to do is be very clinical about what we're doing. We have to be clean. So it's almost like you're in a laboratory wearing a white coat and you're making sure that if you spill something, then you take your jacket off and you throw it in the laundry and you start over again. So students need to be clean when they're doing these type of things. Now, people have argued, well, how clean do I have to be? How fastidious do I have to be in this this line of work? That's a good question. So if you want to win, if you want to do well, if you want to make sense to your dog, then you have to be very clean about what you're what you're doing. If you're in explosive detection, there are no excuses whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Okay, so things like narcotics and explosive detection where people are being arrested or you're determining whether a, a, a ship or a plane is going to get blown out of the sky or bringing down a building, etc. Well, then there's an expectation that you have a very, very high standard and high level about what you're doing. I think the highest standard as well is that accelerant detection, right? Because yeah, that, the, that it is it's, an indication it, why the dog can be used as evidence. Yeah, to steal your uh, one of your phrases, it's one of the wave tops. Yeah, no, that's, that's the incorrect use. <laughs> that's not right at all. See, <laughs> so you, that you've totally fucked me with your army terms, and now I don't know what I'm talking about. That's not right. <laughs> now you got to tell me what the wave tops are. Well, wave tops is when you're just talking about like a little bit. A little bit. We're just going to talk about the top bit of each thing. Well, there's the top. No, there's that's the apex like, That would be a poignant point. Okay. All right. So, oh, yeah, we've established Carry on. It's, not it's not a, a wave, wave top. top. No. Okay. So, we'll call it an apex point. Yes. Okay. So, yep. it's the zenith, the apex point. Yeah. Explosive detection is the apex point on making sure you have 
absolute certainty in the dog mm. that it's that scent and only that scent that I'm I'm looking for. Yeah. You don't want any confusion in the dog's mind. There have been recorded cases. I'm not going to name and shame anyone because I don't think it's funny. And but there have been agencies that have uh, in narcotics all over the world. It's not, but uh, there was one in Australia where the dogs were working on an odor, and it was six months' work that had to be scrapped. And I believe that the whole program, even the dogs, had to be taken out of the program and, and uh, recovered. It was a news program, so I'm not talking out of school. Yeah, it was yeah, actually broadcast about. nationally. It's those things itself. But you didn't say well because the dogs were indicating on a cutting agent, right? They were, yeah, yeah, that's right. They were indicating the cutting agent, not the actual odor, the actual source odor itself. So for people listening, how do they you identify that, right? So in your imprinting of your source, you want to remove every possible variable, any variable that you can possibly think of. So you need that source odor in the in the most purest form that you could possibly get it. Okay, and this is where there's an argument for high quality pseudos and so forth is that they yep. replicate the source odor as pure as it possibly can. Mm-hmm. The problem is, let's take narcotics, for example. If you go and seize narcotics off the streets and you store it and then someone comes in and goes, well, we've got big, you know, like a, uh, a kilo of Coke or something like that sitting in our locker room in our Evidence locker. Evidence locker. That's the one. So it's sitting in the evidence locker and, and your commanding officer comes in and goes, well, I've got a kilo of Coke sitting in there. Let's just use that. How do you know that it hasn't already been pre-cut? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So And it, there's a good chance that it possibly has. So if it has been pre-cut- Well, you bring that dog in that was on scent and knows how to party and you get him to taste it and tell you, hey, what's the what's the purity of this, and we Fido? Just, it, like if he poos straight up. <laughs> it's good. It's good. It's good. Use it. Um, so- <laughs> But no, that is the risk of using any street level or captured. It, it is because um, you don't know how cut it actually is. Yeah. Like, and to and, test that is expensive and difficult. Well, it is, and the difference, the outcome is, is that now you have a dog that is uncertain of what it's looking for. Yeah. Well, okay. no, you are uncertain of what the dog is looking for. He knows exactly what he's looking for. Good point. And yeah, more to the point, the dog does because that's what he's been trained on. That's what he's been rewarded on. So, in a roundabout way, we're explaining that. You don't know what he's smelling, so you have to. Well, you do when you know he's not finding it. Yeah, but when you're teaching a dog to find a scent, you have to remove all the variables that he could be looking for anything other than the scent that you have. And when you, if you have your scent, you're using birch, and you put it in the glass jar. The glass is probably not emitting much of an odor, but what clean the glass certainly is. So when the dog puts his head in there, he goes, "I smell birch and I smell detergent." Yep. And both those things have value to me at this time. Right. And then he doesn't know that the birch is important until now there's two glass jars and they have to be that's, 100% identical. That's the only thing that separate, like, and that's the point. That's the poignant point of all this. Keep going. You can talk about so, it because you, you know, what you, you so know where we're going. So now my dog is consistently and happily sticking his head into my glass jar yep. that contains my odor yep. and nothing else. I've cleaned it as much as I possibly can. But so it's got birch and, and detergent. Yeah. Yep. And now I bring out a second glass jar that has never had birch in it, but was cleaned with the exact same detergent. And touched by the same people and stored in the same location. So everything every, identical. Same, same, same. And my dog sticks his nose into that one, yep. expecting to be rewarded and yep. doesn't. Yeah. Through frustration, pulls his nose out, puts it in the other one because they're right next to each other and mm-hmm. does get rewarded. And at that point, he goes... What was different about that one to the other? It was the birch. There was a point of difference and yep. it was that. And so 
to actually have trained your dog to identify scent, the only point of difference can be the thing you want it to find. Correct. And, and that's when you get a synaptic explosion in front of your dog's head where the dog goes, holy shit, that's the only time that it ever makes 100% sense to the dog when the dog realizes I'm only being rewarded, not for sticking my head in, not for breathing, not for anything else. Like all this is is great and I have been rewarded for it in the past. But now when I do it, if I stick my head into the jar that doesn't have that unique odor in it, the only one, because it's not in there, it's not present, there's nothing, there's no contamination, which is why I've been leading on to this importance of a clean environment. There's Mm -hmm. no chance of contamination. There's no residual odor in it, which means that there was no, it wasn't stored with it overnight and a little bit of odor didn't leach in there and get stuck in the bottom of the jar, which like I said, it's like an octopus tendril. Once that happens, all of a sudden the dog goes, oh my God, it's the scent. Mm. It's the smell. And it's that particular it's scent. It's that odor. The clean odor, the source odor, the only thing that differentiates everything from the picture and finally gets the clicker to go off and the dog gets rewarded. And this goes into Sapolsky's theory of when a dog has the highest level of dopamine. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the dog will be excited about all this because it's doing the work and it feels very excited about it. But then finally, bang. The, the clicker goes off and the dog goes, it's the fucking odor. Yeah. That odor. It's the birch. It's the birch. That's what's different. Yeah. That is all very easy to explain. Mm. Their doing is a lot more difficult. And it be- always is. Because now here's just one variable, right? So you are putting your birch into that jar somehow. Yep. It's probably on a Q-tip. Yep. So now when you have an Great empty point. jar. Great point. Yeah. When you have an empty jar and the dog doesn't get rewarded and he does from the one with the birch in it, yep. is he identifying the birch or is he identifying the Q-tip? You don't yeah, know. We don't know. So yep. that's a variable that has to be removed. So when we say that the jars have to be identical, yep. they have to be identical in every way. So now we have a Q-tip in the empty non-target jar that doesn't contain birch. So yep. now that's and that, the Then same. you do know. Then you, then, then you can rule out it's the Q-tip. Yeah, and that's even an easy way of explaining it. That's just one of the variables. Mm. Now, you're, you probably were wearing gloves when you... When so you they're put, a non-target as well. To name these things, your birch is what we call target odor. So that's an uh, industry term. So we call that target odor. Mm-hmm. Your Q-tip is a non-target. Okay. Your gloves have to be a non-target. So anything like you're going, where you're going with this, anything that you can identify, I've used this along the way. I've touched the jars with it has to be put into jars at some stage so you can rule it out that the dog is going, it's not that, it's not that, it's not that. It's 100% birch. Yeah. In the world, in the practical world where we live and you're setting this sort of thing up, you're probably going to, everyone knows, oh yeah, I'll wear gloves when I'm handling my target odor so that I don't contaminate myself and therefore touch other things. Mm. But what you then do is contaminate the vessel of your target odor or part thereof with the scent of the gloves. Yep. So now- with those gloves, you have to contaminate everything else. But you've just held the target odor with those gloves on. And if you then go and contaminate the, everything with so you those gloves, yeah. you're now contaminating your target yeah, odor really good on everything point. else. Yep. So there's a strict process to setting up. It's like lab work. It's, yeah. You are now involved in the world of science and in training. Yep. And you are a scientist. And what a lot of people don't understand, certainly I didn't until I delve deep into this and made mistakes with dogs and had them finding odd things Mm. is that when you see someone working a dog and I'd seen before I had trained any detection, I'd seen loads of detection dogs working in the army. 
you don't have to be that careful with a dog that knows what it's doing. Once yep. the dog's on scent, people and they get sloppy and you can handle things. And with a really good dog that knows he's scent and it has been imprinted correctly, you can you don't need these such strict procedures. It's good if you can do it and you should, but the reality is a really good dog knows what it's looking for and finds it no matter who's handled it, no matter how it's been done. And you can you can contaminate and dogs figure out. Especially with narcotics, you just dogs. got to make sure you don't have any extinction processes in place exactly. there, where the dog hasn't done it for such a long period of time. You've then got lazy and sloppy, and you've yeah. developed some pretty bad routines. Especially you see it with narcotics dogs, people almost intentionally get a little bit sloppy because you don't want the dog indicating on trace elements because mm. that's not worth your while to find. That's a pain in the ass to find, actually. Whereas the explosives dog, you want him indicating on no matter how small a. a odor no matter how small a trace element it finds you do want to know about that mm. narcotics you don't want to know about that so um you some people can afford to get a bit sloppy so when you're watching someone with a fully trained dog they don't go through all this bullshit because they don't need to they could and it would be better if they did but they don't need to so but when you're doing it for the very first time when you're imprinting the odor you need to remove every single possible variable everything anything that is not what you want the dog to find mm. either needs to be not there at all or on everything. Yep. And even your storage procedures. Like I said, once you've got a, like what we call a hot jar, okay, something that's contaminated, it needs to be stored independently. Yeah. However, if you then go and store that in a in a location that's got all different odors, then again, that initially that creates a problem for you. So then what I recommend people do is, let's say, for example, I've created something from Bunnings like a PVC receptacle mm -hmm. okay so I've, I've created something like a scent tube a scent we'll, we'll, tube. yeah if you go to facebook look at the video the photos yeah I'll we'll put, put up all photos of scent tubes the ones that you've made from bunnings i've got a set of mike's ones that are, are excellent Brilliant. yeah they're, they're really good you, they're just different size fittings that you can't get in australia so i recommend getting them they are worth getting from mike yeah um, yeah um, go on if you want to get some for yourself if you're really interested in doing it go to mike's webpage, which is logan house yeah logan house kennels or logan house or kennels i think you'll yeah. find it if you google that and then to get House is spelt H-A-U-S, so yeah. we'll put a link on it anyway. To get them delivered to Australia, looking about 300 bucks for them. Yeah, and they're well worth it. They're really yeah, good definitely. stuff. And it, it, look, to be honest, if if you looked at the time it would cost you to go out into a hardware store yeah, right. to find anything that was remarkably like that and create it and drill it and stuff like that, by the time you spent doing that and just ordered off Mike Subtle, it would be... And, um, and while we're loving on Mike, yeah. it, it comes with instructions on how to use it as well, which you don't get anywhere else. It's and you can, there's a lot of YouTube clips on Mike as well. So yeah. you can actually go on there and have a look, good look yourself. All right. So we'll put Mike's pocket back inside of his, his pants. We'll stop holding on to that. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on I actually about. know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> you know that one? Yep, I know that one. <laughs> it's, that reminds me of Prison Break when I think of <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talking about contamination. Oh, yeah, yeah, contamination. So storing of your receptacle or your tube or whatever you're using. Yeah. There's actually a good clip that I like to show students from a colleague, Gary Jackson. Mm -hmm. When uh, Years ago, uh, Gary did a lot of scent work and he's still involved in it, but he had a bioarchaeology dog that was detecting ancient Aboriginal bones and so forth. Yeah, right. Um, Amigaloo, I think the dog's name was. That dog was trained to actually go out and find ancient Aboriginal burial sites and find the, the yeah, bones. Yeah, right. So yeah, That's he, interesting. Yeah, it was. It was very interesting. Gary's done koala like uh, conservation. Detection. Conservation, yeah. So bioecology or yeah, effectively comes under the conservation banner where he was looking for introduced species that were not supposed to be in Australia. Mm -hmm. So there's several people who have done it in Australia. Gary being one of them, but in particular, the reason I'm talking about Gary is because he did a video. 
under multinational canine. If you look up olfactory scent contamination, you'll find his video. We'll put this on our Facebook page yeah, anyway. Yeah. So we'll we so we reduce everyone having to look for it, not be able to find it. But it's a good video and it really one of the things I'm impressed about it, and I've spoken to Gary about this, was he outlined in a simple practical thing where he dressed in like a hazmat suit and he had dye in his hands and he was as he was touching everything he could show the pathway in where he was leaving this trail of dye mm-hmm. all over the place and this is what people don't realize when they're doing scent work so a lot of people who have never been shown well or explained to well this is one of the areas where they really muck it up and it's it's a simple thing but often so badly overlooked by some really intelligent people and it's not because they're dumb. It's just that they don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And they, they think to themselves, well, this should be fairly simple. And then it completely removes the dog's ability to identify what we've been talking about. And we've made a, a good foundation in discussing this point. But it removes the dog's ability to identify, I'm on this odor, mm-hmm. specific to what we're looking for. So the dog doesn't have the right idea of what it's looking for. It thinks I'm doing the right thing because it's, that's what it's been shown to do. So I have this thing that I do with people done a few times where people have asked me to help them get a dog started in, in noseworks. Mm. We do a session that, where the dog's not there and the target odor's not there, but we set up how we're going to do everything. Yep. And I use dry ice. So I use a, yeah, that's good. a portion yeah. of dry ice and we say, okay, where are you going to keep these things when you're not using them? Where are they stored? So we set it all up and now into what's going to be the, the target odor vessel, Yep. we put a bit of dry ice and they watch – what replicates pretty closely the scent. Where it goes and it travels and the air currents. out of and, it, yeah. Yeah. It's climbed down and almost every time it contaminates their other article, their yeah. other tubes and say, okay, well, now we, that, that's not going to work. We need a better system. It needs to be lower. You know, your just simple stuff like, you know, the molecules are likely going to fall. Yep. So your non-target tubes need to be in a place higher than your target tubes. Yep. Just a simple thing like that can totally change it. And we can then, and with the dry ice experiment, you can see how scent pools and all that sorts of things. Well, it's, anyone who's been to a nightclub and seen a smoke machine, yeah. that's what scent looks like. Yeah, and that's exactly. effectively, that's colored scent. Yeah. Okay. It's just showing you where it falls and how it, like it travels around the room and when people walk through it, how it, the air shifts and it changes and it moves in clumps. And yeah. these are all factors affecting how well we're going to set up a scent scenario. So what even drafts in a room when we're doing things, we've got to realize is how strong is that draft? Yeah. What's it doing with the scent? It's a worthwhile experiment. If you if you want to get into noseworks or something like that, and just so that you can understand like a, when you see a dog doing what we call like working a scent cone, like mm. where you can see they're, they're on scent but they haven't found the source, it's worth doing a little experiment with like something you can see like dry ice or something like that so that you can understand how these things move around and you can visually see because there's no way you could detect that the way a dog can and, and imagine that, that what you're seeing, the dog is also seeing, but in a thing that you can't see when it's just scent. They can, they can, their interpretation we think is probably similar when they're using their nose. Mm, they 100%. can feel the thickness of it in certain areas, the same as you can perceive that with your eyes, yep. with the smoke, and, and they'll follow that around. And it's worth noting for anyone that will work a dog and if you're going to compete in nose works or whatever, because you can see like, oh, it pulls in corners and that kind of thing. So you see dogs that will will start sort of working a cone and then work out of it. I think the importance of what you're talking about is it paints a mental picture for you yeah. so you can actually... Perceive for... See things from the dog's point Correct. of view for a little while. Yeah. yeah. It's worth doing, I think. 
that's a most important thing, not just in scent detection, but a, but anything, any area where we're trying to communicate with a dog. See, one of, one of the things that we've got to ourselves come to terms with is we don't smell anywhere near as intensified as what a dog does. No, nothing. So our, like our olfactory system is considerably limited to the power of what a dog does. So the way I like to try and explain it to people is the way that we think and have this but the way we think and have this ability of deductive reasoning and our our advanced cognitive abilities over other animals is the same way a dog smells. So it's a large part of its brain, its olfactory lobe is 10% of its brain whereas ours is like a like a minor percentage of that. Mm-hmm. So it's perceived not fully understand, but it's perceived that a dog can detect up to one part per trillion or more. So, the- so my understanding of that, correct me if I'm wrong, is that we can't replicate what a dog can smell, so we don't actually know exactly how well they can detect. Correct. Right. Dr. David Abemmi, I think that's how you produce his last name, who's the inventor of scent logics, mm-hmm. he gave a very good point at a lecture that I went to of his uh, a while ago and I use this model because I think it's an excellent way of thinking about it. He said, let's compare how we smell a hamburger. What is the most prominent smell? And for most people, it's the cooked meat. So you smell the meat and often meat or sauce. To the dog, the dog is smelling the sesame seeds, the actual yeast, the flour, mm-hmm. the grain, each vegetable that was in it, what was used to clean the vegetables with, any detergent that was used on it. So the dog goes through the individual line items of what's actually in that hamburger, Mm -hmm. where we're just smelling the most prominent, the hamburger, exactly. So we smell the prominent smell, the dog is smelling the individualism of it. There was an arson dog that I was watching footage of years and years ago where the dog was uh, entering a building where they believed somebody had lit a fire, which they had, they proved that it did have. The dog was indicating at various different locations around the building and they had a problem with that because they couldn't actually find or they couldn't determine is this the point of origin point where the blaze started or is it here or is it here because the dog was having multiple hits. Mm -hmm. So what they, the, the guy who was the handler, and this is when you know your dog and the start of the process I talked about people who pay attention, he said, I know this dog and this dog is trained on this odour. It understands it very, very well. I believe in this dog. So what they did was they took away sections of the carpet and the area where they found in, in inside this... Um, where the dog was indicating. Where the dog was indicating, inside this zone. So they took away sections of the floor and they analysed it in the lab. And what they found was some of the glues that were used to uh, bind the carpet to the floor were some of the same in petrochemicals, which mm-hmm. were used in lighting the fire. So they actually found that the dog was indicating at an atomic level. Right. So what they had to do was go back to the drawing board and train and isolate chemicals from the glue from petrochemicals so the dog in the future wouldn't be confused about what it was looking for. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty amazing. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. It's such a fascinating field. And so I still think they're, like I said, I still think the jury's out in that and we're learning a lot from it. Yeah, I remember reading an article, uh, it was many years ago now, so they've probably solved this puzzle, but they had a dog, I think it was in France, it was a Mali that was indicating on prostate cancer, yep. urine samples, mm-hmm. and they were about to sort of call the program a, a flunk because the dog was consistently indicating on a, a sample that was a non-target sample. And the dog kept doing it and they were like, well, something's going on. And the 
they retested and retested the guy who'd given the sample and he had no signs of cancer. And the guy actually became so paranoid by the idea that he did, that he had a biopsy and he did have prostate cancer. Wow. So the dog was detecting it at a level before any other intervention could other than an actual biopsy. Yeah. Which I think is pretty fascinating. Mm. And then what I think a lot of people missed and they, they only glossed over in the article is like, we, I don't think we're ever going to have cancer detection dogs. I think the, the path for that is they're like, okay, that dog can tell these are cancer. There's an in this, anomalous cell there. Yeah. What mm. is it? And yep. now we need to find a way to detect that artificially, mechanically, however, mm. um, because I think the, the, the idea of having cancer detection dogs is probably unrealistic, but it's the, the proof of it was the dog can tell the difference at a level before we can in any current intervention. We need to figure out how he's doing that. What is it that he's smelling? What is the thing that we can isolate and test for ourselves? And at that time, I read this article a long time ago. They hadn't figured that out. One thing that we do know for sure through, once again, paying attention and observation is that dogs can track for kilometers looking for prey mm. without any human intervention whatsoever. I mean, they've been genetically modified themselves yeah. over, or what did we call that? We call it... Um, well, that's evolution. Evolution. That's, that's survival yeah. of the fittest. So, yeah. So their evolution over over hundreds and hundreds or thousands of years have determined that there's a lot of animals, dogs, pigs, anything that's a predatory type of animal can hunt and detect prey. I mean, look at, take, for example, polar bears mm. that can hunt through sheets of ice yeah. in a climate which usually limits any type of odor whatsoever. They can actually find seals and penguins through half a meter of ice mm. and smash down and grab them out of the water. So we're talking about something that we have no comprehension on how that actually works. Yeah. So for us, we kind of look at scent detection ourselves as we can smell things, of course. We can smell all sorts of odors. It's one of our prominent senses, but nowhere near as prominent as what a dog sees. Yeah. All right. So on scent so we understand that we've spoken about how to imprint the odor and how to isolate the odor. So you think your dog's on odor. You're all using is the tubes. Mm. You He's sticking his head in non-target tubes and moving on quickly and then sticking his head in target tube and carrying out the behavior that you've taught, whether whatever that is. Yep. What's the next step? So the next step from there is once we have established that the dog is on odor and we know we can see that, so various different receptacles are working, what we then need to do is start being clever about where we're actually putting the odor. Mm-hmm. For example we wouldn't have something obvious sitting in the middle of a room like a scent tube or something like that where the dog is just running in and going, oh, I'll stick my nose in one of these. It's bound to be in one of them. Mm-hmm. What we would then do is start making it tricky for the dog. So we would hide it in a location. Simple at first and then start advancing that as we're starting to go along. For example, it's like what I always tell anybody, criminals or terrorists aren't stupid about what they do they put some time and effort into thinking about where they're going to hide things and how they're going to mask it or camouflage it because they're pretty aware that at some stage somebody's going to bring a dog over this and there's a chance that it could spoil what i'm trying to do Mm -hmm. stop me from getting my drugs in stop me from killing hundreds of people by blowing a bomb up i know that's the morbid side of things even things like uh, termites. Termites don't sit in scent tubes in, in the middle of your room. Mm-hmm. They're hiding in the wall somewhere. So for a, a termite detection dog, same principle applies. It's just an odor. You know, it, one of the things I do tell people is that there's a lot of people out in the industry who build this mystique about what the dog is looking for. You know, like they try and make it like it's so different from everything else. Bullshit. Let's take the 
this is like the Wizard of Oz where once you draw away the curtain, there's a little guy standing there pushing levers and buttons, Mm -hmm. this magician projector that's all wise and wonderful up on a screen, but it's just a guy, okay, and it's the same thing. It's just odour. It's just an odour. No matter what. No matter what. The odour. No matter what the odour. I mean, a good dog and a good handler is a good dog and a good handler. Mm -hmm. But once you pull the mystique away from it, the reality is it's just an odour. It doesn't matter if it's you title it, you can call it the grand poo bar of all odours that ever walk the earth, like they do in the, the history of their... Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. They ask this question, which is the all-meaning, knowing question of the universe, and they end up come back to 42. Yeah. So the reality is it's an odour. We're teaching the dog to look for an odour. And you can, put, you can instill any odour that you can think of. Mm-hmm. Birch, cocaine. Ammonium nitrate, which is an explosive, termites, um, detergent, detergent, animals, seeds, whatever, fire ants, fire ants doesn't matter. Anything insert odor here. That's what we're t- what we're talking to. I'm, I think I've made that point very clear. Mm-hmm. We've made that point clear. We're m- moving on now. The dog is now on odor. What we need to do is teach the dog that it's not going to be in a simple location. And now you need to start working for it. Now you need, really need to start hunting for it. So we start, like I said, elementary at first, teach the dog basic finds, and we start making it different from there. So it could be in a corner of the room. It could be behind a door. It could be under a wheel arch. It could be under the floor. It could be under the earth. It could be up in the ceiling. It could be in one of the walls. It could be on a person walking by. What you then need to do is realize that it's not going to be in a location convenient to you mm. you have to go and actually actively find it i.e like a dog would ha- or a wolf would have to do it was hunting something in in nature yeah it's got to act- actively go out and search for it so to be specific i do that in two ways first is to get mike's pocket back out and hang on to that again okay is, um <laughs> what he calls these point to point exercise yep which i think works awesome and that's a great way of telling whether your dog is on scent or not which is as simple as having your odor out in a location outside of a training session. Yep. And you're just walking the dog and you'll see immediately. The dog goes, hey. Yeah. yeah. If, and you got to, the wind's got to be correct and there's more to this than I'm explaining There is, now. yes. But the wind has to be correct and you'll see the dog who's just on his own time. If he suddenly kicks into his detection mode and starts working that scent cone back towards a source and the reward is then at the source when it gets there. Yep. And so setting that up as a point-to-point exercise, and you just do that like once, to, and then you know. If the yep. dog went through it, yeah, okay, you're cool. The conditions were right. Everything worked. The dog found it. Okay, my dog's definitely on odor. Mm. And then that, for me, is usually the first way that my dog is going to identify its target scent outside of a tube. So it goes like, whoa, the, the scent's away from the tube. This is, this is different. And then for hiding an odor in a room, I actually – so when I'm doing, using the tubes, I have those out in the like my training ground. It's in the open. There's nothing but the tubes. The dog knows. I stick my head in these tubes. The mm. correct scent's going to be in one of them. And then what I do is in my room where I'm first going to hide the odor, I have a tube right next to the door. And that's my target tube. And the dog gets rewarded in a different location in what's a, a populated room with things in it. I actually yep. use my garage. Yep. Dog gets it right at the door of the garage. First thing straight away. We do a session of that. And now there's the next session is there's a tube. And then there's like a meter gap and there's another tube. And the dog goes, checks the first tube, nothing in there, quickly goes to the the next tube and there is something in there. And mm. I do a couple of sessions like that. 
And then once I know my dog is now searching in what was like, if I'm using my training area, it's like a giant Skinner box. There's nothing else there. It's just these tubes. The dogs only look in the tubes. And in this case, the dog now goes into the garage or the room and he's still just looking in tubes. I then do like a modified point to point type exercise where there's still the tubes, but they're empty. Neither of them are target tubes. Yep. The dog checks for the first one. Which is brilliant because it teaches the dog not to rely on these receptacles being the answer to their question. But the the tube becomes a bridge to the environment. So it goes, okay, I know I'm doing detection. And it sets it up for work. Yep. Yep. Sticks his head in the first one. Oh, it's not in this one. It Mm. must be in that other one that I can see. And now the tubes are like a meter or two apart, but my odor is hidden. Not far from the source. Yeah, between yep. those two tubes my, yep. is my source yep. in a way that the, the dog's never And it's a great it cue. Before. It starts establishing a working ethic. Yeah. So yep. then I know my dogs, I know I've done the point-to-point exercise and this is just a modified closer range version of that. And then I reward because the dog then works it and goes. And that's when I've seen, done that with numerous dogs and they go, oh, this is, it. these tubes mean shit. It's not the tubes. It's the scent in the tubes. Mm. And now you can get rid of the tubes. Yep. But then I then say, now we're going to do car. I put the tube in the car or at the wheel of the car or whatever. The tube is always then my bridge. My scent tube is my bridge to the dog. Okay, this is detection. Yep. And when it's a new environment, the dog goes, okay. And you really typically you know, just do this in two environments, one in the room, one on a car. And you can eliminate that quickly by the introduction of a cue to say, yeah, it's yeah, now totally. time to look for something. Totally. But, but you, that yeah. just becomes a little bridge to the dog. Goes, it's a good oh, bridge. Okay. And you just do yeah. it like it's one or two sessions max yeah. per yeah, time good. doing it. And the dog goes, oh, okay, this is detection. And then very quickly, the tube becomes irrelevant. The yep. tube is not something I need to worry about. could be anywhere, and it's just the odor. There's nothing sp- – what I had trouble with in the past, with earlier dogs I've been involved with this, is the dog relying on finding the thing, right? Yep. And the dog will rarely ever find the thing because it will be hidden. Like if you look, if a dog's looking for drugs, it will usually be hidden, built into something. So mm. they'll never actually get their hands on the bag of drugs. If a dog's looking for the birch, it's never going to – actually get its nose onto the birch holding thing because that might be underneath, you know, to whatever. Yep. It's in the hubcap. It just gets as close as it can. Yeah. The explosives are going to be buried in the ground. It yep. just gets as close to the source as it can and doesn't rely on actually touching up. it or making contact. Yeah. yeah. And, and seeing it. Yeah. That's where I had trouble in the past. You remember the first time I did that, I had trouble with the dog actually. No, no, I need to find it. I've got mm. to flip it over. I've got to put my nose to it to be sure and not trusting herself. Yep. And so that exercise was a good way in removing that mm. um, in that it's the dog finds it in between two tubes and then trusts that I don't actually need to get my nose onto it. Yep. So that's a little step that I think is yeah, worth it's mentioning. The reality is, is that you need, like when you're in early learning phases with the dog, you need to do whatever you need to do in order for that dog to understand because this is a form of communication. Yeah. And the process that, well, one of the things that people do need to do in this process is come to the conclusion and the understanding like all other behaviors that we're doing with dogs when we're teaching it is the dog is working for reinforcement. Mm. Even though the dog enjoys the work, as we talked about Sapolsky's model of highest forms of dopamine yep. is in the actual work itself. Dogs are excited about doing this work. Okay. They perpetually get enthusiastic about scent work because they know that ultimately it's going to lead to a reinforcement, but they do love doing the work. Yeah. They do really find great pleasure in doing the work. And I've seen tracking dogs that will track for K's and K's and K's. You know, we had to train this FH when we were doing IPO and dogs just loved it. They just got so involved in the enthusiasm of, you could put food down on the track for them at some stage and they'd walk over it because they're just thinking, no, I've got to get to the end. Mm. I've got to see it through. And they get enthusiastic because they understand the model and it's been shown clearly to them 
how to get to the end of the process. Yeah. And when a dog does that, you know, you can see this elation in the dog, like its tail is wagging, its ears are up. It's it's very it's almost like the dog's going, "Here, hold my beer." Yeah. You know, I'm I'm into this. The- this is a good time, I think, to talk about selection of dogs. I had a conversation with someone recently who was talking to me about getting a, a Mally sort of similar bloodline to, to Remy for, yep. for detection. And I was like, yep, totally. He can do it. Correct drives, enthusiasm. But he will do detection for his reward. Yep. He'll do the work and then you'll need to – he does it. He likes to fight. The, the reward has to look in some way. I was trying to talk him into getting a Springer. Because the work is the reward typically yeah. with the Springer. And especially she wanted to do conservation detection. And I was like, this Springer I have will do that for free. Yeah. Like she will work all day with no encouragement, no reward looking for critters. That is that is the reward for her. So I think it's worth mentioning now, like if you intend to do some kind of detection work with your dog put a, and, and you are going to get a new dog to do it with, put a bit of thought into the type of dog. Like a Mally for sure, 100%. Is totally capable of doing detection work. There's loads of them doing it, but they will do it for the thing that they want. Mm. Whereas there are breeds of dogs like my Springer, who's genetically engineered to find rabbits. She she goes searching for them in her free time. She looks for rabbits. Yep. And so if you can put the value of that scent into something else, she in her free time will go looking for that scent. Mm. Worth mentioning. Absolutely, it's a very valid point. And one of the things that from that point that you've just made is that canine selection for various forms of training that you're actually doing, depending on the seriousness of the role, is the first point of call. Mm. The amount of dogs, when we when I was doing explosive detection work, the amount of dogs that went through our selection process, it was just incredible. Yeah. I'd be out looking at dogs. Boyd would be out looking at dogs. Another guy, Matt, was looking at dogs. Another guy, Owen, was looking at dogs. We we're just looking at them all the time. So pretty much what... People will call us up and say, I've got this dog here. Would you like to have a look at it as a potential candidate for doing some detection work? You know, and we'd, we'd ask them some questions straight off the bat. Does the dog do this? Does the dog do that? We didn't have the time to raise puppies in the selection work. We were actually getting welfare dogs, not well, rescue. rescue dogs. So we were getting rescue dogs and using them in our program. So young dogs had to fit a certain type of criteria. If that criteria was met, we'd start doing a phone interview. Does the dog do this? Does the dog do this? Yes, yes, yes. Often you'd go out there, find it did none of those things. So it was, you know, half hour drive out to go and have a look at the dog, spending a little bit of time with it. And people would say, oh, you're very hasty. As we'd say to them, because of the severity of this type of work, we have to be very selective about what we're taking in. Like you're taking in an Olympic athlete. Mm. That's what we're looking for. We're not just looking for somebody who does, what's the kid's sport that they do? It's like Olympics for little kids. It's like... um, Olympics for little kids? Yeah, no, but it's got a name for it. It's just something that neighborhood kids go and do. Like little athletics. Yeah, that's it, little athletics. Mm -hmm. So we're not doing little athletics. We're actually in the Olympics. It's a high stakes game. It is a very high stakes game. There's no pardons with this. We actually need the right type of dog with it because your neck is on the line. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting one as well. Like right type of dog. It's about motivation, right? The dog Mm. has to be motivated for it. Like say with my personal dog, Valerie, because she has hunted rabbits and caught them, there is nothing higher value to that than her. Of course, I could strip her back to food and make that so existential that she searches for it. Of course, that's possible. Yeah. But when she's out searching, if I were to take any of the nose works that I do with her seriously, if I was to really say, okay, like if I was to sell her as a bomb dog, I don't think I could ethically put my hand on my heart and do that because Mm. 
I think a lot of the times when she's out searching, if she's finding rabbit scent, she's searching for rabbits. Yep. And I can't measure that, so therefore I can't control it. I don't know where there's been a rabbit. And when she's nose to the ground searching, there's no way for me to no, – nothing I give her will be as high – as a reward for finding explosives yep. will be as high a value as catching a rabbit is to her. Yep. Because she was built to do that. That's what she was bred for. So I can't be sure what she's – like she could be lying to me the whole time saying, yeah, yeah, I'm looking for explosives. I really want that that Kong you're going to throw for me. <laughs> uh, whereas in reality, she's like, fuck that guy. I'm looking for rabbits. I'm going to <laughs> kill it. So I think that's a, a tricky one. So she would be totally suitable had she never caught a rabbit. Yep. If she'd never had that success and never known that and I'd controlled that, because she's got brothers and sisters that are explosive detection dogs. But once they're unsuitable, they're not. Yeah, that's right. In, in those type of things. Now, that's that leads me on to another thing because the question that people say to me is, I've got a pet dog and I don't need to train it for explosives. What's the difference? Well, the difference is, is that, in nose works, no one dies if you miss the scent. That's right. Effectively, this is a game. Yeah, that's right. Um, and it, a lot of people take it seriously. Like, it's a very competitive sport, and it's branching out all over the world. It's becoming extremely popular. It's a cool sport. I like it for a lot it of It is reasons. a great sport. And, I mean, there's a Marion and Trini that do it out here, do a fantastic job of it. They really – they take it very, very seriously. They set it up very well. And the, even the competitors, they put a lot of time and effort into it. However, when we get back to the nitty-gritty of it, the foundations of, of teaching the dog, the learning principles should almost be identical. Yeah. Well, the thing about Noseworks is it's it's almost a complete cut and paste of the North American Police Working Dog yeah. certification. It's the same thing. Well, it was developed by yeah. like-minded people. Yeah, it is the same thing. So yeah. the, the test looks exactly the same. If, you, if your dog was on odour in and they set up – you could pass the police dog test in the States yeah. if you could do the same thing if it was the same odour. So it's, it's a cool sport. The thing I like about it as well is because I'm a – I'm the opposite of a dog snob. I like that they don't tell you what kind of dog you can use. That's like right. It. It's open to everybody. Yeah. You can have a three-legged dog that's got yeah. one ear and – I mean, look, effectively, if you had a great bomb dog, the only reason they would say no to a three-legged dog is it probably couldn't get in locations that a four-legged dog yeah. could get into. No, but I mean, as far as sports that tell you, no, you can only use a dog that's got this paperwork, oh, no, it's, they don't yeah. care, which Miss, I, I like a lot. Mrs. Jones and her little lap dog, yeah. they're welcome to go her, in and – undesexed mongrel dog. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Go in and jump in and and do it. And look, that's the great thing. There was last time I was judging, there was a a lady in there and she's in her 80s and her dog's probably as old in dog years as as she was. (laughs) And the dog just dotters through and everything, but completes the work and does a great job. And I, I love it. I really get a kick out of rather than her saying, oh, I'm too old and the dog's too old. She likes the work. She gets involved in the training. She comes out and actually puts her money where her mouth is and she enters trials. Yeah. And it's fantastic to see that families and anybody who's enthusiastic enough can actually go through the noseworks process. Yeah, yeah. It's really cool. If you're talking about an explosive dog, well, the the stakes are much different. Yeah. And, and the requirements of, of selecting that dog. That, I mean, look, the dog's got to pretty much live and breathe detecting explosives and nothing else it can't be distracted by other dogs it can't have environmental sensitivities and so forth it, you know this dog has basically got to walk out and saying yeah just let's put the world on hold for a minute because i'm looking for bombs yeah and there are one in a million really they're so the, hard the, to come the by. best ones are they're unicorns yeah the best bomb dog i've ever seen in real life was uh, <laughs> a dog his name was tip rat <laughs> Tip-rat. Yeah. So he was at the um, SOA, the Special <laughs> Operations Engineer Regiment. They had him as an explosive dog. He was a rescue. He was from a. He was just from a pound. <laughs> um, yeah, and he was named Tip-rat because that's what he looked like. He was this ugly, 
horrible looking mangy little dog. Yeah. But lived to find bombs. Well, we say that. He lived for a tennis ball. Yep. And he was prepared to that's find right. bombs. That's right. And that's the that's the thing at the end of the day. Yeah. Is that please don't confuse yourself that your dogs are just thinking, Oh, cool, I'm you know, I'm looking for bombs. Your dog's basically saying, This is the mechanism to getting me into to your get treat the pouch. thing I want. Yep. Yeah. Now Tip Rat was phenomenal. And, and he was an escape artist too. Like you would just see Tip Rat kicking around on the base. <laughs> like, hey Tip Rat, what's going on? <laughs> like yeah. your old dog, Ernie. Yeah, just like the family dog. It's actually a very sad story. Tip Rat killed himself. He, uh, in, a, in one of his escapes, hung himself. Ah, uh, that's pretty shit. Ah, uh, yeah. But to lose such a valuable dog. But yeah, I mean, exactly. to lose a dog like that is traumatic. But exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was a, the best bomb dog I've ever seen in my life, work ever. And mm. I think because he was such an aloof little dude, was he had a very large bubble, which is good for a bomb dog. He would work away from his handler a long way, which keeps everyone except him safe. Yeah. He'll like, especially in like a route clearance where the dog's just clearing the road ahead of you, but he would happily work several hundred meters forward, which is phenomenal to do. Mm. I, I, any dog that can work past 50 meters, usually people are pretty happy with 80 meters is really good. Tip Rat didn't care. Yeah. He'd, he'd just keep working no matter how far ahead, which means he's out there looking for bombs and you're a long way from a bomb if he finds one, mm. which is very handy. The explosive detection ones are funny. Like I have not, I've no experience in real explosive detection dogs, especially when I was in the army. That's a different unit that takes care of that. Yep. And even now, the guys, the their dogs, the dual purpose dogs are trained in explosives, but that's not their primary role. But I met a guy, and he's actually an Australian guy. I'd love to. I can't remember his name, and it was before I was into dogs, and he was an Australian guy contracting for the ODA, um, and he was at Firebase Tykes, and he. So as a civilian working for the U.S. Special Forces with mm. his explosive detection dog. And I remember, I talked to him a little bit about the time because I, I didn't really know too much about dogs. I wasn't that into it. But he had some really interesting shit to say that I wish I could have that conversation with him again now. Like he told me at the time his dog had never had a live find and he would never let it have a live find. So he, in exactly that role I was talking about, that root clearance role, if he saw his dog working a scent cone, he called it back because he said, my uh, income, first of all, I like my dog. I don't want it to get injured or killed. Yep. My income is, I'm not a shooter. I've, I don't perform a gunfighting function with these guys. So my income is reliant on my dog. And without my dog, I have no job. I'm getting sent home. Yep. But also we don't have a bomb tech. So if he finds anything, what good is it to us? So I don't need to know exactly where it is. I only need to know that we're not going down that route. And right. I was like, that that makes 100% total sense. So he's like, if I see my dog, if I think he's working a scent cone, if, I, if it looks like he's on odor and he's trying to find a source, I call him straight back. I don't care about the source. I was like, wow, that's interesting. And I'd love to, I'd, man, I wish I could have that conversation with that guy again. I'd, now that I'm into dogs. At the time, I was just like- Maybe we can find him and do a podcast with him. Yeah, that would be amazing. Because yeah. at the time, I was just like, yeah, cool story, bro. Nice dog. What, what kind of skinny, weird German Shepherd is but that? But you- didn't have the relationship with scent work that you do now. No, not at all. I was just like, mm. oh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And on that same trip, the one of the explosive dogs, Sabi, had been lost. And that's why this guy was with us at the time. Mm. Um, that's an interesting story that's probably worth. That would be a good one to get Simo, her handler, on at the time. If he is around and could, could talk to us, that would be an interesting podcast. There's a lot of good people. Like I said, with this entire episode, this is just a micro story in the story of scent work. Yeah. It really is uh, an evolving story and process that people go to. There's probably people who listen to it and go, oh, you know, you failed to mention this and you didn't go through this. Well, guys, I'm telling you, this is there is a large process in doing this. It's easy to talk about it. 
in a snapshot, but talking about it and doing it is two different things. On that, I think with a lot of stuff we talk about in the podcast, it's just a for info stuff. It is. You're it's, not going it's out to, and... It's to whet your appetite. Yeah. You know, like I said, this is a... And I tell the students when we're doing this in NDTF as well, because I've got them for half a day. And I said, this is to... This is a tapas dish. And what the whole point of a tapas is to say, this is small selections of, of our menu. Yeah. If you like this, then we encourage you to investigate further and maybe take the, the main course next time. Yeah. And, and that's what I say to students when we're doing this course too, is that course, or even when I've learned from people, people have said to me, here is some basic information of it. If you want to develop a career in it, get studying. Yeah. You know, get off your butt and go and research more. I think dog trainers in Australia, we are... Because it's a small industry and we, the way that the whole industry works here, I think that we don't have too many people who are super highly specialized in, in, in too much. I think most people here are sort of generalists, I think. Like certainly I am. I know a little bit about most. It's, that's changing. I, if we went back 10 years, I would say I absolutely agree with that. But that mm. is changing where people are starting to become specialists in certain fields. Yeah. There's, it's, there's some. The migration is happening. Yeah. It's to make a living. I'll post a video. I'll have to get it off in. There's a guy, Peter or Pieter or however you pronounce it, a Polish guy that trains bomb dogs in Poland. And that's what he does. He just trains bomb dogs in Poland. Yep. And he's fucking unbelievable. Like mm-hmm. I'll get a video. It's in a closed group. You would have seen, but I'll, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll seen, get him. To I know send the it. one you're talking about. I'll get it. To, I'll ask him to send it to me so I can post it. Yep. Unbelievable scent work. Like a dog is inhaling metal, trying to trying to breathe in the scent. It's fucking unbelievable. Like, yeah. Amazing to watch. But that's his job. That's it. It's all day, every day, training bomb dogs cool. and and making them as good as possible and making them exceptional. I wish that I was in a position to be able to specialize in just one thing like that. But to make money, you've got to sort of be across everything. So there are- I mean, And have a lot of resources available too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I guess the reason I sort of bring it up is I am by no means an expert in scent detection, not by a long shot. I know how to do it and I've done it plenty of times. You probably would be closer to being an expert, certainly than I am. But I wouldn't classify myself as an expert, but I have- very detailed knowledge and I spent a long time yeah. being a handler and trainer. Yeah. So um, I think what you've done that I haven't is you've trained start to finish a yeah. dog and used it. Like yeah, that, I've been in, I've done the field work. That's where my gap lies. So I've yeah. trained start to finish dogs, but I've never then with that dog gone out in the field and used the dog where people's fucking lives mattered. However, let me put a, a valid point up here is this is like, there was an old guy that I did boxing work with years ago. He'd never been a champion. He'd been a pug fighter, mm-hmm. but he trained a lot of big champions. And I said to him, did you need to be a, a champion to train champions? And he said, not really. He said, it made sense to me that I wasn't a really good fighter, but I knew what I had to do. I just didn't have the physical ability to do it. Mm-hmm. And he said, but I had the mental preparedness and I knew what a person with a better body and more dedication could actually do. And he said, oh, I could show them how to shape that. Yeah. So I've seen that a lot in people as well, where they've never really had some practical knowledge on things, but have churned out some amazing results with people because they actually know how to translate it. It's not yeah. that they're incapable of doing it. It's you can still create champions without being a champion yourself. A boss of mine at work summarized that perfectly when he told me one day, even Tiger Woods has a coach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's a good point. At the time, Tiger Woods was sort of 
at the pinnacle of his, his career. There was yeah. no one better. And he goes, but he still has a coach. He still has people teaching him shit, even yeah. though they're not better than him. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. It's a very good way valid. of explaining it, right? It is. It yeah, yeah, really, really is. Yeah. Anyway, I think we should um, leave. Yeah, wrap it there before yeah. we waffle. Oh, th- th- look, there's so much we could talk about and we could go down different avenues. But look, if you enjoyed this show uh, and if you think there's anything else you'd like to hear us talk about in the realm of scent work, we will at from time to time, uh, just to jump in there, we will have from time to time have somebody that's coming in to uh, talk to us. I'm sure when people like Mike Suttle and hopefully one day we'll get Randy out here and anyone else. We'll have them on the show if we can get them on the show and yep. love to talk to them more about their processes and a bit of a snapshot of their world. Yeah, totally. In between that, get your bums out to their seminars. Like go and participate in what they're actually doing. Yeah, that's right. It's one thing to watch it on YouTube. It's another thing to actually be in a classroom with them and actually pick their brain while you're doing it. Even when I started off prior to, to traveling and doing it as a job, I had the good fortune of spending time with people and seeing the processes unfold before me. And it answered so many questions that were lacking in the video because you can't stop them and say, oh, what yeah. happens if this happens? I think it's worth bringing up as well. Like we, we sort of wrapped up talking about high stakes bomb dogs. and But I think that if you're into dog training, usually people get into dog training and they get their obedience as good as it's going to get sort of in a year or whatever. Yep. That doing some de- scent detection is an awesome next step. And it's a lot of fun you can have with your dog. So whether you plan to compete in nose works or not, um, doesn't matter. And with whatever you want to teach your dog to find, it's actually a lot of fun to do. And dogs tend to enjoy doing the nose that works. As well. Yeah. Well, any sort of detection work. Oh, like yeah, teaching the is. dog to find anything you just can a, think of. If, even if you don't want to be competitive, just as a skill to learn more about yourself and more about your communication with your dog, I couldn't recommend anything that would improve the bond between you and your dog. Yeah. So I like my dog. Better. I, sh- I missed the, the word better <laughs> on the end of that. <laughs> my dog, Remy, I never intend to do any scent detection with him. Compete, I mean. Yep. But he's on numerous scents. Yes. That, that I just do for fun and because it improves active, your relationship. Yeah, it's active, it's yeah. hunting, and mm. it's almost – I've had it explained to me that doing scent detection or any kind of nose-related activity is a little bit meditation for a dog. I agree. And so for a dog yep. that you intend to – like I that's, do – That's a good That's a good phrase. Yeah. So yeah, I like it. For a dog that – I am responsible for making crazy in a lot of areas for biting and for various things, lets him expel some drive in a manner that he likes to and in that scent detection. And it's calm. It's, it literally is meditation for the dog. Yeah. And so whether it's tracking or article indicate, whatever, a little bit of nose works for a dog, I think is healthy for it. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's fun to teach and it's easy to teach. And, and if you are just teaching it on your dog for fun and, you totally get it all wrong, and you teach it, and you and you end up teaching a dog to just find something that you have placed out by mm. accident. At least you might identify that and have some fun doing it, and then go back and train something else. So it's it is fun. I've been enjoying watching some videos from Sarah Wysum. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, in Melbourne with yep. her dog Cheezel. Yeah, uh, she's what a pink- name for a dog. Cheezel, I, love, that, I yeah. love it. Yeah, and she's a great girl too. She loves that show. She's a avid listener. She tells me she listens to it when she's in the bathroom and. Oh god! Rushing. Oh no! I was thinking, goodness me. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, she's she's uh, she posts a lot of her videos up. She's good good person at putting her money where her mouth is because yeah. she'll put her videos up for critique to show people what she's yeah, doing. For sure. and, you know, she's got twenty boxes in the room, and the dog's just coasting around in it until finally it goes. Here it is. Mm. A question, a good question that people have asked me over the years is, how do I know when I'm reaching success in this? And to summarize it. 
I think I answered that before when when you get the dog paraphrasing what I said before is here hold my beer <laughs> you know when the when the dog looks like it's taking over from you and it yeah. just says look I, I thanks just sit in the background let me do my thing that's when you can see true success in it number one you're getting true indication every time you can't trick the dog anymore and number two the dog is just basically saying yeah well I'll take over from here yeah effectively that's what you want in your dog yeah with my explosive dog the best one that I ever worked with was a dog called Sonic that a friend of mine, Amelia, has got now. She's like 14 years old. She took her and and, uh, rescued her after her career finished. Lived a great life, been a very spoiled dog, but absolutely fantastic bomb dog. I mean, that dog, as soon as I got on site, that dog was jiggling around in the crate like a dog who was going to do bite work. Mm -hmm. She just couldn't wait to bust out of the crate. She was climbing all over pallets in, you know, we would do Darling Harbour, Pink and Bar, we were all up and down the eastern seaboard at the time. So I'd literally get off a plane and I'd be at a wharf and then I'd put the dog back on a plane and be at another wharf and that dog just couldn't wait to get out. She was just phenomenal to work with. And that dog was very much like that. She'd just pretty much have the attitude of, thanks, mate, just hang on to the leash and, and, and enjoy the ride. And I couldn't trick her, never could. You know, We would take odour on the site with us all the time and get the, the wharfies to hide her a stash for me at some stage and you'd run the dog past and she would pretty much have that indication style that you're talking about what Saddle likes to see with his young puppies where she'd where you'd be walking past to her and you'd just be saying to her, oh come on let's go back to the car and all of a sudden she'd snap your arm and go hang on mm. I'm onto something you know and she'd find the odor straight away I've seen that moment in Val and I knew she was enjoying it was training in my garage one day she indicated on the odor I marked and she came back for the mark because it's a conditioned response but she grabbed the ball. I had the ball on the string. She grabbed it out of my hand, ran back and started indicating on the odor again with the ball in her mouth. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, like, that's well, really cool. I was like, I'm fucked. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I legit didn't know what to do. I kind of stood there like Ricky Bobby. Like, uh, uh, I don't know what to do. Help now. me, Tom Cruise. Yeah, Help me, baby like, Jesus. I, like, I don't know what to do because <laughs> they say, you know, it's a hundred percent reward. Like, but she's got the reward in her yep. mouth. I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do. So I clicked. <laughs> I clicked and when she came back to get the food, best. Well, yep. she came back to get food and I grabbed her by the collar and I put her away and I like carried her back to the box. And I was like, I was panicking. I was like, I don't know what to do. Like she's indicating with the reward in her mouth. And I was like, oh, hang on. That's, that's the whole point. It's like sneezing and farting at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's the whole point. She was enjoying breathing in the odor. She found that in itself rewarding. Yeah. Didn't need my yeah, reward. Yeah, that's showing. awesome. That's, I, and that. That's the point where you want to get to your dog. That's the relationship you want your dog to be in that sense sort of thing that the dog is thinking, This is how good is this? Yeah. I think the term that you used before summarizes it really well. It's a, It should be for like a form of meditation where mm. the dog, I mean, it's such an instinctive trait to the dog, such yeah. a strong instinctive trait. That we almost rob them of yeah. by keeping them as pets. Well, a lot of times we, we kick their nose off the floor and tell them to stop sniffing. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's seen as an annoyance for a lot of people that they're actually saying to the dog, stop doing that. Whereas this is a field where people start to see factors affecting their ability to teach the dog to send is because for two years of their life, yeah, they didn't stop sniffing me, stop sniffing the floor, stop sniffing the kids, stop sniffing the other dog. So the dog is effectively told, stop using your nose. Yeah. So the dog over time starts to become conditioned to turn its ability to scent off. Yeah. And then when you want to do a sport and then you're going, well, why aren't you sniffing anymore? It's so important to them. Like I know because I interact with so many dogs during the day. When I come home and I get the greeting from the dogs and then Who did you touch today, whore? So yeah, so it's the big greeting and then it's the interrogation. 
right? Like they're all over you. Like, where have you been? Where have you been? Smell your feet, smell your pants. Where have you been? And that's it exactly right, right? Oh, I know this dog that you've been out. Like, fuck you, how dare you? You're meant to be home with me. Have you seen that movie, I Love You, Man? Yeah, yeah. Have yeah. you seen the part where he's getting fitted in for his wedding suit and the guy walks in and he goes, um, I, he goes, I didn't just share a kiss with you and... <laughs> and, he, he, and he goes, it's the taste of betrayal. He goes, it's not the taste of betrayal. That's he goes, right. it's the taste of betrayal, you fucking whore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I That's what dogs son. are like. When yeah. you, you've touched a dog, yeah. how you know, dare you? That movie, Slapper the Beast, man. That's the one. That's, that's the same yeah. one. All right, we've, we've lost it. Yeah, let's, we're let's off. Let's wrap it up there. Okay, so that's it for another episode of The Canine Paradigm. If you like what you're listening, tell a friend. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can do that via Facebook. Look us up, The Canine Paradigm. Send us a message. Give us any feedback, hints or tips, or let us know what you'd like us to talk about. Now, heard in 14 countries around the world. That's right. Mm. Cue the music.